G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What is this? This is seller heart language. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we are asked some important questions, including what would cause you to walk away from God? And is there anything irredeemable in your life? Pastor Jeff prepares us to give answers to these and more in his message, Seller or Servant? This is seller heart language. God is the means, I am the end. I'm in this for me. My goals, objectives, they're non-negotiables. Jesus is my helper, so when are you gonna start helping? The disciples knew that they were at any point on the verge of becoming a seller rather than a servant. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Turn in your Bibles, if you went over to Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to get to verse 19 just in a few moments. I want to begin by saying, at the end of this message, I'm going to ask you four questions. And I'm going to tell you what they are right now because I don't want you to be surprised at the end, okay? And then you'll have context to the delivery of the message. Four questions I'm going to ask you at the end of this message that I think are some of the most important questions you could ever ask yourself about your life, about your purpose, and about your relationship with God. Number one, are you keeping a ledger with God? What he does for you and what you do for him. (laughs) Number two, upon what is your faith in God contingent? Upon what is your faith in God contingent? That is, what would happen in your life that would cause you to walk away from God? Three, are you blaming your failures on other things or people? And four, has there anything happened in your life that God cannot redeem? Is there anything irredeemable that's happened in your life or for that matter, will ever happen? Now, as a pastor, I get a lot of questions, constant questions, and they're not always easy. Uh, Who made God? Why did God place the tree in the garden in the first place? Why doesn't God just kill the devil? And those are the easy ones. You know, I've written a book called Dinner with Skeptics that I deal with all those questions. And this is not a commercial because we're out of them. So if you tried to buy one, you couldn't get it anyway. But then there are questions that I find almost impossible to answer. I have no good answer. Why did God make cats? I just don't know. (laughs) I do not know why God made cats. I have no idea. Someone asked me once, why is the term good lawyer an oxymoron? I don't know. Someone once asked, why is my neighbor a moron? I don't know that either. I can't answer. I've never met him or her. Why is my wife always right? Well, you need to ask her that. She'll tell you the right answer, I'm sure. (laughs) My question is, when do I get to ask my tough questions to you? Okay, here's the big question. The one that keeps me up, not metaphorically, literally, 
Why is it that people who have grown up in church, who've had the best mentors, disciples, coaches, pastors, fathers, teachers, mothers, when they get to be my age, walk away from God? Two of my closest friends. When you're 30 years old and people die, you say, oh, that's sad, but you don't think much more about it. But when you're 50 and people die, you think a lot about it. Do you know why? Because they're dying at your age. And suddenly it dawns on you, wow, they were 52. They're dead. I'm in that last box, 50 or above. You're either dead or you can check the box. <laughs> when people walk away from God, it's one thing, but when your friends that you've known all your life that have been in ministry walk away from God, it's a whole different issue. So I think of this young lady that I've known for a long, long time who grew up in a fantastic family actually went together as a family to the mission field into a different culture, contextualized the gospel, helped people far from God come near to God. An incredible father who led the family in Bible study and prayer, did everything together as a family, prayed together as a family. She took this faith as her own because she ends up returning to the States and then going back and sharing the good news of the gospel with people. People far from God, bringing them near to God. She marries a man. He has a business that takes him all over the world. She goes with him and everywhere she goes, she starts Bible studies. She learns languages. She adapts to the culture of the people. She does this for her entire life. And then when she hits her 40s, mid 40s, things start turning south a little bit. Her children walk away. Her marriage gets in a little bit of a disarray. And then she comes to a point where she's around my age, a little older, and she just makes the decision to walk away. Why? She actually makes a decision. We all fail, right? We all blow it from time to time. I got that. I got that. I do. You do. We do. But she makes a conscious decision that she's going to enter into a life that is not only going to be a failure in the eyes of God for this moment, but she makes a conscious decision that she's going to continue on that and do it every day of her life. Now, I know what a skeptic would say here. They would say, that's because, Pastor Jeff, you don't get it yet. All Christians are ultimately hypocrites. That's unfair. My father-in-law is visiting right now from Lexington, Kentucky. He, talk, he talks about a guy that goes into the doctor just recently, and the doctor said to him, look, here's the reality. You've got about six months to live at best. The cancer has spread. There's nothing I can really do for you. I can try to extend your life for six to eight months, but you are going to die. And he looked at the doctor, and he said, well, why would I want to do that? And the doctor said, excuse me, why would I want to stay here six to eight more months? I'd rather just go on to heaven. <laughs> there are some saintly saints around. Billy Graham was interviewed by Larry King. I think I've used this before. Larry King Live. And Larry King brought up the fact that so many high profile pastors in America have had moral failures. And he asked Billy Graham to address that. And Billy said, look, Larry, thousands and thousands of planes take off every day and land safely, the only ones you're ever gonna hear about are the ones that crash. There are pastors all over America that serve faithfully, that live faithful lives, that marry, that bury their people, that have incredible compassion and outreach endeavors. It's unfair to say because high-profile pastors fail that they all 
equally fail. There are pastoral heroes all over. They're faithful, they're compassionate. I've got a friend, Byron Graham in Australia. He's the pastor of Highway Church, one of the most successful churches in Australia. This guy started this church by working two other jobs, didn't want to take a salary because God had led him to plant a church in the tough area of the Gold Coast. This guy has been hit with everything. Just when he's at the prime of his preaching, he gets throat cancer. And now today he can't taste anything because all the radiation and the treatment really burn off his taste buds. Imagine that. So he eats to get the sustenance from it, but he can't taste chocolate and coffee and apple pie and all those health foods that we get. He can't taste. What would that be like? But yet, as a matter of fact, recently he had a bout with septicemia. Almost killed him again. This guy's like tough, enduring. But I have never ever seen his worship dissipate. I have never seen him doubt that God is good. He just keeps going, going, going strong. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, we're not talking about those people. We're talking about the people you mentioned in the beginning. Those who have surrendered, those who've demonstrated relationship with Jesus, then sometimes in their lives, they just walk away. How do we explain that dichotomy? I know of no better story in the Passion Week than the story of Judas. Here's how it goes. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. I'm in verse 20 with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The Bible says they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Now the old King James version says, what? Is it I? Is it I? And I read that and I think, dude, you don't know whether it's you or not. (laughs) What do you mean? Is it me? You know what? I mean, come on. Judas knows because he's prepared 30 pieces of silver. He's already sold Jesus out. But they all say, they all say, is it me? Is it me? Am I the one? Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But look, woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. That's pretty bad. Pretty descriptive. Dude, it'd been better for you if you had not come into the world. And then Judas, verse 25, the one who would betray him said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. What a stinking liar. What he basically said is, surely you don't know what I've done. Jesus answered, you've said so. If I were one of the other disciples, I'd say, hold the phone, wait. But Jesus just goes right on past this into celebrating the Lord's Supper. I'd say, whoa, Judas, what? Explain, are you going to turn us? Are you going to have Jesus arrested? And then we'd all gang up on him and take him behind the woodshed. That's what we do in Tennessee. We just smack you around. What are you doing? Stop it. Nobody says a thing. Because of this, many have construed the theory that Judas is the worst person ever to have lived. Did you know that? Many works have been written that there are degrees of hell and there's politicians and prostitutes, lawyers, Hitler and Stalin, 50 feet of fire, and then Judas. Dante's Inferno said, the deeper that you go, the worse people are. And at the very bottom of hell is a layer of ice. And then underneath that is Judas. Now, I love studying the scriptures because I always learn something new. Do you know that we still celebrate in the world Spy Wednesday? Spy Wednesday. It's celebrated part of Holy Week all around the world. It it commemorates the exchange between Judas and the authorities where Judas would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And I knew this first bit. I knew that on Spy Wednesday, uh, churches all around the world will collect 30 pieces of silver from their parishioners as a donation to the church to do what is good. 
But do you know that in some other cultures, they commemorate Spy Wednesday by throwing an effigy of Judas from the church steeple and then dragging it around town while pounding him with sticks. What a picture to the world of Christian grace. (laughs) Judas must be a bad dude, right? In Matthew 26, verse 49, the Bible says that Judas walked straight up to Jesus in the garden. It says, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Now, every descriptive part in the narrative is supposed to communicate something. If there's a crowd of people and the teacher, the rabbi, is in that crowd, when the student approached Jesus, he would not approach Jesus first. He would first greet everyone else and then approach Jesus last as a sign of respect and ultimate authority. The Bible tells you that he went to him at once. He goes through the disciples. And the reason he does that is Judas is giving a message. I am just as good as you are, Jesus. I am your equal. You're not above me. You have no ultimate authority over me. So it's not merely a sign to the mob through the kiss that this is the Messiah. This is the Jesus. This is the one you're going to arrest. It's also his final repudiation of his relationship with Jesus. I'm just as good as you. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and the message is called Seller or Servant. Are we selling Jesus or serving Him? Here's Pastor Jeff. We've had all kinds of theories. Why does Judas betray Jesus? Man, I've read them all. Very few of them are in the Bible, though. You know, there's the thought that Judas was expecting an earthly king and a thundering Messiah, and when he realized Jesus was going to be more of a suffering type of servant, he turned him in to force the agenda. But the problem is you don't read that in scripture anywhere. Other people said, it's much more simple than that. The dude just loves money. He wants more money. And Jesus is a valuable commodity. So he turns him in. And yet the whole point of the gospel narrative is that Judas is not rare. that he's in every single one of us to a degree, that no one is immune, that even the most well-intentioned. Look again. While they were eating, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And what does every single disciple do? Is it me? Why? Because they understood that Judas is very close to every one of our hearts. And if you don't make your peace with this, There will rage within you a constant battle and you better be willing to admit that sooner or later, something's gonna happen in your life that forces your hand and determines who you truly are. Now, I've been reading Dr. Tim Keller again. He describes it like this. He says, if you look at the Judah story, you're reminded that you're either selling Jesus or you're serving Jesus and there's no middle ground. You're either selling him or you're serving. What does it mean to sell Jesus? Well, if you own stock in something, you keep it as long as what? is it's making a profit for you, as it's delivering the goods. But if it starts losing money, what do you do? You sell it. Keller then says, what's the difference then between serving Jesus and selling Jesus? Here it is, selling Jesus, you make Jesus a means to your end. He is the means to your happy life. Serving Jesus means that you make your life a means to the ultimate end of pleasing God. It means... You're keeping a ledger with God. You're thinking, okay, I don't really want to go to church this morning, but I'll go because if I do, he'll owe me. (laughs) I really don't want to do the right thing here, but I'm going to do the right thing because I'm afraid if I don't, then he won't give me this. But if I do, 
He's bound to give me what I want. That's called selling Jesus. Do you remember Satan's accusation against Job? God says to Satan, if you consider my servant Job, he's blameless, he's upright. He shuns evil. He fears God. Satan's reply in Job 1.9 is this. Does Job serve God for nothing? God says, Job serves me. Job serves me. Satan says, no, he doesn't. Job sells you. He's with you as long as he's turning a prophet. He's not your servant. He is religious in order to get you to be his servant. And in verse 10, Satan says, if you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has, you bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. God, you made him rich. You take away everything that he owns, God, and he will sell his God stock so fast. Sometimes the opposite scenario is true. The risk of having a one life is that not all your one lives who come to Christ will stay. You celebrate the ones who do, but sometimes one of my first one lives I met her one day and my heart was just torn for her. I had been reading the Andy Stanley book that says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So I thought, you know what? If I'm gonna ask our people to be involved in one life, I've gotta do the same. They'd been, her whole family, they'd been living on the streets. She was trying to work and make ends meet, but they were still on the streets. Her husband didn't have a job. I called a friend of mine. He gave the husband a job and got them off the streets. And our church invested in them. And they came and they heard the message of the gospel. They were baptized. Things really got good in their lives. And then they disappeared. My life is good now. I don't, why do I need Jesus? Selling, you make Jesus a means to your end. So when he's done for you what you needed, you move on. Serving you make your life a means to the ultimate end of pleasing God. 30 years of ministry. There have been many reasons people step away from God. A prayer that is unanswered. A promotion they didn't get. A tragedy that is unexplained. The passing away of somebody that they love. A deep desire that they have that is unfulfilled and they expect God to fulfill it. And all of a sudden they get to a point in their life and they say, wait a minute, what good is God? I've been refraining from all this stuff. I've been trying to live a Christian life the best way I could. What has he done for me actually? I ask him to grant me this one thing, he can't even do that. What good is God? What good is Christianity? I'll walk away. Or sometimes it's the opposite. God has answered my prayer. I've successfully manipulated God into giving me what I want. This deep desire has been fulfilled, so I really don't need Jesus anymore. I'm good, thank you. A pastor friend of mine got called to the hospital once to the emergency room. The guy on the other end of the phone said, look, you don't know me, but my family goes to your church. I'm in desperate need. Can you please drop everything and come to the emergency room down at the hospital? My friend goes. He's greeted at the door by this guy. The guy says, oh, I'm so sorry. They misread my x-rays. I don't really have cancer, so I don't need a pastor. Had I been there, I think I would have said, wow, I've never met anyone who's never going to die. What's that like? What is this? This is seller heart language. God is the means, I am the end. I'm in this for me. My goals, objectives, they're non-negotiables. Jesus is my helper, so when are you going to start helping? The disciples knew that they were at any point on the verge of becoming a seller rather than a servant. Dr. Tim Keller says, even in a real server, there's always a seller. So can I stop there just for a moment? In what area of life are you selling Jesus? 
You don't say it out loud, but it's what you think. You're thinking, okay, this is the thing in my life I really want right here. So I'm going to be good so I can get it. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give some money to the poor. I may even give some money to the church. It'll be hard, but I know I can do it. And then God's bound to give me what I want. You never say it out loud, but it's how you think. Because there's very little joy in you doing righteous things. If you had your choice, you really wouldn't do them. But you do them because you're keeping a ledger. And you're hoping by doing enough good, you'll get what you want from God. Do you know in the scriptures, they constantly juxtaposition Mary and Judas. Mary, the the sister of Lazarus. And in John 12, Jesus comes back to Lazarus' house. Having already raised Lazarus from the dead. Have you ever thought about that? What that'd be like? You're Lazarus, you know. You, you haven't seen Jesus for a while, but last time you did, he called you back from the dead. You know, Jesus comes in the house. What do you do? Jesus, yo, you know. <laughs> remember, remember, when you re- remember when you caused me to rise from the dead? Good times, man, good times. Who can, who can have that conversation with Jesus? Not many people. Remember the good old days, brother, you know, when I was dead and I was alive? That was really cool. Mary, Lazarus' sister, is overwhelmed with who Jesus really is. She pours perfume on Jesus' feet. And it's her way of saying, I give you everything, because this was expensive perfume, a year's wages. I withhold nothing. I know who you are, Jesus. You caused my brother to come back to the date. Man, you're God. I know who you are. I'm giving you my best. Now, who's all grumpy face about what she does? Let me read it to you. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, John adds commentary. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas is a seller. Mary is a servant. And the Bible tells you there's nothing in between. You're either one or the other. And if you're a servant, you'll obey unconditionally because Jesus is the supreme being in your life. And if you're not that, you're a Judas. And you say, my following God is contingent on my life turning out the way that I want it to turn out. And Jesus delivering me and providing for me. So that you get to a point where you say to yourself, I am not the means to Jesus' ends. Jesus is the means to mine. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and that's all we have time for today, but we'll continue to explore if we are sellers or servants of Christ next time. I hope you can join us then. Why would we think it's all about us, other than the fact that everything we watch and listen to tells us that? What makes us think that I know better than God how my life should go? Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.